Um, this morning, I want to be in Psalm 23. If you have your Bibles want to turn there, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, we wrapped up Romans last week, about 33 weeks, 34 weeks, something like that, in Paul's letter to the Romans, and we wrapped up a little bit early. And so this week, I wanted to get into a text that has been really, really personal for me, um, especially this past year. This has been a psalm that God has used specifically in my life in a very weird and a very difficult year for many pastors, many churches all around the place. But it's been a psalm that God has used to bring rest and healing and restoration, essentially, for my my soul. And so um, typically, this is, I would have you stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to invite you to sit where you are right here and even put your Bible down. And I want to invite you to close your eyes as you just listen to the Word of God being read over you this morning. And my hope is that the Good Shepherd, which is what this psalm is about, that He would meet you wherever you may be, that He would bring restoration and refreshment and rest for your soul wherever you may be. So I want to invite you to just close your head, close your head, what? Close your eyes, bow your head, and uh, as I read this over you. This is a psalm of David, Psalm 23, verse 1. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you are our good shepherd you never stop watching us, caring for us, leading us, protecting us, providing for us, providing a way to have life in you. God, we praise you. God, we thank you. And I pray for the person that's walked in today with a depleted soul. Maybe they find themselves living in a valley which feels like it's leading to death. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet them in that valley. God, I pray that you would restore them God, I pray that you would give them joy and strong footing once again. God, that you would prove to be the good shepherd, we your sheep. Father, open up our ears. Let us hear from you today. Our time is all yours. And it's in Jesus' mighty and holy name that we pray. Amen and amen. This past week, I was reading a fascinating article about the role of chill music in helping people relax today. I don't know if you guys have heard this term. It's not a term I made up myself. It's, uh, it's actually a term described... Uh, certain types of music people are turning to to help them relax. And so it's just talking about how our moods are closely linked to the kind of music and the kind of noise that we choose to listen to. And so it's talking not just about songs, but about all kinds of different media inputs and things like that that we allow in our ears and into our hearts. So it's talking about things like uh, not just music, but blogs and different podcasts and different media outlets and social commentaries and different texts and posts on social media and all the different things that we allow into our soul. And it's just talking about how our moods are closely associated with those kinds of inputs, what kinds of songs and music and all the different noise that we choose to listen to. And so it was just talking about how this is a year that we've seen a rise of a lot of toxic noise, culturally speaking. And as a result, there's been a rise of chill music to come and to kind of make things a little bit more calm. But it was just talking about how nearly 50% of people today in America are turning towards specific music to help them feel less worried throughout the day. 
25% of us are doing it specifically at night before bedtime, and they're turning on certain music. Maybe it's white noise or something like that, uh, but they're listening to it as a way to help them actually go to sleep. Nearly 30% of us are using it on our commute to work in order to help us get through a very, very stressful and anxious day. Uh, any of you guys do this at all lately? By the way, I'm not going to be shamed. Okay, good, 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 good. It's not like a shame thing, like, a, hey, you shouldn't do that. You should just turn to Jesus and not listen to music or anything. But um, like, this is a big deal. Like, a lot of people are turning. Anybody, anybody want to guess at some of the top songs that people are turning to? These are going to be favorites. These are going to be all, all timeies, oldies and goodies and stuff. But who would you guess people are turning to here for their favorite chill music? Kenny G, okay, he did make the list. He was not top five. He did make the list. Anybody else? Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> you know, shockingly, no. Um, yeah, not who I'm thinking of there. But uh, <laughs> anybody, anybody else? Inya, yeah, Inya was a good one. I was, I was joking the first hour, like, that was my go-to chill music back in the day in College Station. Like, there was this place called Browsing Library. It was a place in the Memorial Student Center. I'd often go to study, and I'd bring my commentaries and, like, all these books up there. And, but back in the day, like, there was no MP3s. You'd have to take headphones and plug it into a wall, and they would give you, like, one of seven CD players that you could choose. And I always chose Inya. Like, I was like, it was, it was either Inya or else it was the Braveheart soundtrack, right? If I needed to be, like, really motivated and inspired to, like, go... Uh, you know, conquer something like it was Braveheart, but most of the time it was Inya. That was the thing back in the day. Any other guesses or anything like that? Blues Traveler. Okay. Uh, No, I did not see that one on the list, but uh, that was close. Which one? Nora Jones. Yes. Come Away With Me was number 16. Okay. So come away with me. Number five. So Adele made the top five twice. Okay. So yeah, that's not shocking at all. Pretty much everything she sings, I could sit there and be like, yeah. Uh, everything is right in this world. But Adele, hello, was number five. Uh, Adele, someone like you, was number four. Uh, Elton John, your song, was number three. Uh, the Beatles, Let It Be. Like, how can you not listen to that song? Let it be, let it be. I, and it's not totally going to chill, mo- chill mood right there. Number one was Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World. Right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I said that, and you're like, oh, yeah. Like, what a, like, everything is happy and good when I'm listening to that music. This is just a small, small snapshot of some of the songs that people are listening to in order to relax and, and to make things all right in the world. And you know the thinking behind it, right? The thinking behind it is, I'm just going to put these headphones on, and I'm going to turn on a little bit of music, and it's going to help me drown out all the toxic noise in this world so that I can find a little bit of rest. This morning, I want to go back to Psalm 23 because this has been my chill psalm for the past year. In a year that's been, um, it's probably seen more stress, more anxiety, more difficulty and pain, more tears, more division, um, just more pain all across the board. Like this has been the psalm that God has used probably more than any other text in Scripture to draw me back to Him and to provide rest in a very weary and in a very tired soul. My hope and my prayer is that it would do the same thing for you, more than just lyrics, more than a tune or something that you can go back to, that this would be a psalm you can return to time and time again, and that God would use it to draw you to himself, the good shepherd, and to breathe life into a dry and weary soul, and to be able to give you the the restoration that you so desperately need. As I mentioned before, like this is a psalm that many of us know. This is a psalm that 
Maybe your parents read to you when you were a, a child and you were trying to go to sleep at night. It was actually very effective in that way. Many of you probably do that for your kids today, but it actually works if you try it, right? And it's not because it's a boring psalm or something that's going to lull you to sleep or anything like that, but the entire psalm is a psalm of victory. It's all about the provision of our God and the rest that he gives when he is our good shepherd and we know that we are rightly his sheep. I mean, look at some of the different things that he promises to provide here in this text. He says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, he's able to do a work in your life in this dry and weary season when you actually have want for nothing. And what's fascinating about the beginning of the psalm is it's coming after chapter 22, where the psalmist very specifically saying, hey, it's not that I have no wants. Like chapter 22 is one of these lament psalms. It's a, it, it's a terrifying psalm. It's a psalm where the psalmist is crying out and he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, this is a psalm that Jesus pulls from on the cross just before he breathes his last. But Psalm 22 is simply sitting there saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It feels like you have abandoned me. It feels like I'm in a valley all alone. It feels like, I'm, like, like my cries are not being heard. My enemies surround me. They're trying to take my life. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And theologically, the psalmist comes and he puts this right in, right after 22 to say, oh yeah, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, in the middle of these dry and weary seasons, my God, the good shepherd, is able to come and to breathe life into me in this way that I actually have want for nothing. This is what he's saying. The Lord is my shepherd. Even in my seasons of longing, you come and you satisfy me in ways I never thought possible. Like there's a way that you can go into Target and not want for everything. To be overcome by greed or to be overcome by envy or to be overcome by coveting. To always be wanting. And what he's saying is my God is a God who can come and bring such satisfaction to my soul that I'm actually content in whatever the season may be. He continues and he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. And so if you came in today and this is a dry season for you, or maybe it's just a dry week or a dry day, and you're coming in saying, God, I'm thirsting for something. I'm barely holding on. I'm getting into my summer break. And God, I'm barely making it. I'm crawling through the doors. Our God is a God who can come and bring, breathe life and restoration into dry bones this day. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. This is the provision of our God. He's a God who guides when you don't know up from down, when you don't know black from white. Everything around you is a world of gray. You don't know what to do. You can't discern what truth and grace looks like in this particular context. You don't know where to go, what he's leading you professionally, what he's leading you to do in regards to your family. God, I don't know what to do. The good news is he's our good shepherd and he guides you in the path of righteousness and it says that he does it for his name's sake. In other words, his glory and his renown and his honor is on the line. It's all attached to his ability to guide you in the middle of these places. These are some of the promises of his provision in this text. Keeps going, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. In other words, like, I don't have to be afraid because you've never left my side. In the middle of this valley, when everything's dark, when it feels like there's a million things that are terrifying around me, I don't have to live in fear because I know that, God, you're here with me. You don't abandon me. You don't leave me nor forsake me. You're always here and you're present with me no matter the season that I find myself in. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, even though my enemies haven't gone away, 
Even though this provision we're talking about right here is taking place in the middle of your enemies. He's not removing you from the situation. He's just come and joining, he's coming and he's joining you in the middle of it. Like even though like my enemies are around me, Father, you come and you're the good shepherd and you give me peace and you give me restoration. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, this is the offer of God's provision that's on the table for you today. That he will lead you. That he will restore you. That he will guide you. That he will protect you. That he will comfort you. That he will provide for you. That he will bless you. And that he will follow you with goodness and mercy all the days of your life. When you see him as the good shepherd and you his sheep. And it brings peace to your soul and you're able to lay down in his presence and receive from him and simply listen to the soundtrack of his voice over you. This is the plan and these are the promises here in this text. And so those are the two keys. He begins by saying, okay, the Lord I know, he's my shepherd. This is personal. This entire psalm, I hope you don't miss how personal this whole psalm is. Like, he's my shepherd. I just, he's not saying, hey, I know that he's a shepherd. I know that he's your shepherd. I know that he's cognitively, I know that he's a shepherd. No, 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 this is my shepherd. The whole thing is deeply personal. In a few verses, he's going to start speaking to the good shepherd. You were with me in my darkness. It's not just third person, but you are my good shepherd. It's deeply, deeply personal throughout this entire thing. John chapter 10, Jesus is going to say, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep are able to follow me. Why? Because they know the sound of my voice. In other words, in verse 5, when he says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, like those sheep that are sitting there with enemies all surrounding us, like they're able to know the difference between the enemy's voice and my shepherd's voice because I am his sheep. He is my good shepherd. I know his voice. I know the enemy's voice. It's why I'm able to have peace when I'm surrounded by my enemies. I'm able to discern the difference between, no, 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 that's the enemy's voice over here, and this is the voice of my good shepherd. Like this whole thing is just deeply, deeply personal for David. This past week, I was talking with one of the Pine Cove counselors who was up here pouring in to our kids, and I was learning a little bit about his story. And his story was fascinating. It was early on in the early days of being a Pine Cove camper himself that God came and met him. He came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior then. But he said it was in the subsequent years following as he returned over and over again because he didn't have a church home, but he would come to this place. And it was there that the principles and the truths of God's, of the, of the beauty of the gospel would come and he would begin to, to own the realities that, oh, no, no, he's not just a shepherd, but he's actually my good shepherd. He's not just a Lord. He's not just the Lord, but he's actually my Lord and he's my personal Savior. And he talked about how he got it there at the very beginning, but through repetition and year after year after year to the point that he got in high school, it was the high school years that he began to realize, no, 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 okay, that my God that I sing about is not just the about you God, it's this is the God who, who is my personal Lord and my personal Savior. And he says, this is when my relationship with the Lord began to take off because it wasn't just something I was thinking about and singing about, but this is a person, this is a God that I was singing to. And that I was in a relationship with church. Like, don't miss how personal this psalm is for David. Like, there is no peace apart from, uh, apart from his presence. 
Uh, this is the key to David experiencing the peace and the rest that's here in the presence of the good shepherd. This is what John Wesley was talking about in his own personal testimony, which we come back to over and over again. But John Wesley, the famous evangelist, was out there preaching the gospel for years, leading massive revivals, planting churches, doing ministry for years before he discovered, hey, I don't actually know God as my personal Lord and my personal Savior. I know all about him. I can tell you all the facts. I can tell you all the stories. I can tell you all the right things to do. But it was years before he came to understand, no, 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 this is my God. This is my Savior. This is my shepherd that we're singing about and we're talking about. It's why we pray the way that we do for our kids here at DBC. We don't just pray that they're going to meet God in elementary school or in the children's ministry or something like that. We pray that they would meet him, that God would protect them, that they would grow with them. And at some point in their junior high, senior high days, they're going to come to this place where their faith is not just their parents' faith. That their faith is not just their culture's faith. That their faith is not just their church's faith or the youth group's faith. That their faith would be their own faith. That they would understand not just the things about God, that they would actually come to know God in a very personal way. He's not just their Lord and Savior. He's not just my parents' Lord and Savior. No, no, no. Like He's my personal Lord and Savior. And I'm not going to run away when I read the stories on, in the news about this catastrophe or that catastrophe because I know my Lord and Savior. Like, I know that this is taking a hit, and the church reputation, culturally speaking, is taking a hit, but it doesn't shake my faith because I know the Good Shepherd. I know Jesus, and there's nothing that you can say or nothing that you can do that's going to tear me apart from him. And that's our hope and our prayer for all of our kids, that at some point in time that there's going to be a detachment from, hey, this is my parents' faith. No, 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 no. This is my faith. No matter what's happening with them, no matter what's happening with my friends, no matter what's happening in school, no matter what's happening in college or culturally or around me or whatever the thing may be, no, 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 I know my God and my Savior. David says, no, 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 the Lord, he is my shepherd. That's why I have peace. It's why I shall not want. He continues and he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he restores my soul. I want you to notice the posture of the person whose soul is being restored in this text. What's he doing right here in this text? He's laying down, is he not? This is what he just said. He makes me lay down in green pastures. And it sounds all nice and serene, except for the fact that it seems kind of like the shepherds made him lie down. Kind of like maybe, hey, he didn't really want to lie down in the first place. Maybe he was a busy sheep that had a lot of things to do. Right? Maybe he had a job to go to. Maybe he had a lot of things to think about. Maybe he was curious about the grass that's on the other side of the fence. Maybe he was curious. Maybe he wanted to wander. Maybe he didn't want to lie down. There was a lot of different things to do. There was children to take care of. There were vacations to plan. There were schedules to keep. There was entertainment to be had. Like, don't miss the fact that David had to be forced to lie down. He had to be made to lie down. I told you a little while ago, this is the thing that shepherds often do for their wandering sheep. Every now and then, a shepherd will have a lamb that wants to go and do their own thing, and they'll deviate from their flock. They'll cross the fence. They'll go out their own way. It's the it's Luke 15. It's Luke when Jesus is telling the story where he says, I'm going to go out. I'm going to leave the 99. I'm going to go find the one wandering sheep. But every now and then a shepherd will have to go do that. They'll have that one sheep that goes off by themselves. And they know when that sheep is detached from the flock and out from underneath the care of the shepherd, like they're, they're food for the wolves. And so that shepherd will go after that sheep and they'll bring them back in. And a lot of times what that shepherd will do is they'll break the leg of that sheep intentionally. 
And for the next six to eight weeks, while that leg is being healed, they'll carry that sheep around on their shoulders. And the entire time, it's just going to be them and that sheep. And that shepherd's going to be caring for the sheep in such a profound and unique way that when that leg is fully healed, they know that they can trust the goodness of that shepherd and that lamb will never walk away and deviate once again. This is, don't, like, don't make him make you lie down. But sometimes this is what he needs to do. And so I think that this is the part of the psalm here that a lot of us are able to identify with because quite honestly, like lying down is not a thing that we like to do. Personally speaking, lying down is not a thing I like to do. We're not good at it. I like rest. I don't like typically resting. I don't like doing nothing. This past week on Instagram, a, a friend of mine posted a pretty funny meme that I thought was pretty relevant to this. But it was just talking about different out-of-office replies. But the European out-of-office reply is, I'm away camping for the summer. Please email me back in September. The American out-of-office reply is, I've left the office for two hours to undergo kidney surgery, but you can reach me on my cell phone anytime. <laughs> right? Isn't that true? Kind of how we operate a little bit? I mean, church, we live in a culture that honestly believes that rest is for the weak. I mean, it's why we exaggerate our hours and we brag about how hard we work and how long we work and, hey, I put in 60, 70 hours a week. And like we brag about it like it's a token of honor to be able to say, look at how hard I've gone. Like it's something that's going to be lifting me up in your eyes. It's my favorite Seinfeld episode back when George was, uh, I don't know if you remember this at all, but George is pretending like he's stressed out and he's anxious all the time. He's walking around the office because he knows, hey, if if they think that I'm stressed and anxious all the time, it means that they think I'm working really, really hard. Remember that? He's just all frazzled all the time. I'm the only one that likes Seinfeld around here. Like, I feel like I could, that could come into like every single sermon. But he's walking around and he's just thinking, you know what? I, they're like, that George, he sure does work hard. He's just stressed and anxious all the time. Like it's some sort of a badge of honor. This is why we are liking the sheep over and over and over again in this text. I mean, you're like sheep are by nature stressed out and anxious animals. It's what did you do. It's what you do when literally everything in the animal kingdom wants to eat you or um, mess with you. Um, or make a great coat or a pair of socks out of you or something like that. Like you're going to be stressed out and you're going to be anxious all the time. I mean, literally everything in the animal kingdom can take you down. Like flies have been known to take down sheep. They, 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 they kind of nab at their eyes a little bit and it drives them nuts and the sheep doesn't know what to do. And they will literally beat their head into the ground trying to take care of the, sh- the flies and they'll kill themselves in the process. Like there's, nothing, there's nothing awesome about sheep. This isn't, a, this, isn't a, this isn't a great thing to be likened to sheep over here. Zane Parsley was telling us a story this past week. I think he shared it with our students back at the uh, Florida beach camp. But he said when he was 12 years old, he was, doing a, he was doing one of those nativity scene kind of things for the church. And one of his roles as a 12-year-old, he got to be the guy that would hold a sheep in this church play. He goes, Aaron, I killed four sheep in the process. I was like, what were you doing to the sheep? He's like, I didn't do anything. All I did was hold the thing. And we went backstage, and four different times within 24 hours, that sheep was dead. I was like, what did you do to it? He goes, all they could come up with was anxiety. The anxiety of being up there. And it took him a while to figure out that was what was going on. But like, this is the, this is the thing. He's saying, like, that's, like, there's nothing awesome about sheep. It's why none of us are getting like tattoos of sheep, right? It's like, it's not awesome. They're not fast. They don't have talons. They don't eat anything cool. It's like, like, there's nothing awesome about this. Yet over 500 times in Scripture, we are the sheep and he is our good shepherd. And at first we read this and we're kind of going, okay, that's kind of offensive. I don't like being a sheep, right? 
And you start thinking about it a little bit more, and you're kind of going, yeah, okay. I've got some of the same fears. Like, who's going to protect me when it's my time to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and when I lose people that are near and dear to me? Like, who's going to protect me then? Who's going to provide for me when it's my job that's on the line? When my kids are going off to college, I've got no idea how we're going to pay for any of these things. When I was planning for retirement and I didn't plan well enough because things economically have changed that I didn't account for. Like, who's going to provide for me in the middle of that season? Who's going to guide me into what's right when all I can see around me is fog and gray and I don't know what to do? Like, who's going to guide me and show me the right way to go? Who's going to carry me when my soul is dry and I'm barely creeping through the door? Who's going to validate me and think that I'm significant unless I'm able to do something that's truly significant? Robert Downey Jr. had this quote a number of years back, but he said, my greatest fear in life is mediocrity. It's not the fear of failure. He goes, I don't really think the failure is an option for me. (laughs) He goes, it's not the fear of success. Success is the thing that I actually want. It's the fear of putting my heart and my soul into something and only being mediocre. I don't think that I'd be able to handle that in my life. Madonna said the same thing over and over again. Number of different interviews. All of my life, she says, I've had to battle these horrible ongoing feelings of inadequacy. One moment I'm able to push past it, I'm able to discover that I'm actually a pretty special human being. But then it comes back and I'm deep in my depression, feeling like I'm mediocre in every way and completely uninteresting again. And church, it's not just Hollywood. It's not just the people that are like uber successful and drivers and accomplishers and all that kind of stuff. It's all over the place. A few years back, I told you I found it in me. It's all over the ministry world. It's all over the professional world. It's in our parenting. It's in our family life. It's in our single life. It's all over the place. I mean, I remember sitting there, and I think it was Thanksgiving of 2019. It was cold and it was rainy on Thanksgiving Day. And I found myself that afternoon in the front yard putting Christmas lights on my, on my house. When I don't believe in putting Christmas lights up right after Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? It's like, like, that's not my jam. That's not what I do. And I found myself out there, and I'm out there hanging things in a tree. And I'm totally in my happy place. And Kat comes in. I, I come back inside, and she's got a puzzle on the table, and I'm not a puzzler. And like, I made fun of the people that do the puzzles. And I was like, babe, why did, you, why did you bring a puzzle? Like, we're not going to do puzzles. And she lays it out there, and like, literally, I'm just drawn to it. And I start putting pieces together. Hours go on, and I'm sitting there at that table, and I cannot leave that table until that dead gum puzzle is put together. Anybody stuck there on those things? Like, I remember sitting there that day, and Kat comes in, and she's like, Aaron, what's up? Like, this is not you. Like, I'm not that guy by any stretch of the imagination. She's like, what's going on with you? Are you all right? And I was like, you know, maybe this is something I need to pay attention to. And I remember coming back and, and doing some examination. We were preaching through the Psalms at that time. And I remember asking the Lord, saying, okay, God, what's, this is unusual. What's going on inside of me? And I remember him telling me very clearly, Aaron, you're a fixer. You like when things are put together, when things are in their place. You like fixing problems. And the reality is there are a lot of things in your orbit in this season of life that aren't really fixed. And you're trying to do it all yourself. I remember sitting there having this time with the Lord and and I'm looking at these Psalms and even Psalm 23 and clear as day, I could just hear the Lord telling me, Aaron, there there are some things that sheep were never meant to fix, but I'm your good shepherd and I can fix them. If you'll just bring these burdens and bring these things to me, then you can lay down and you can find rest. And I'll tell you, it's exactly what I did. I took that list of all the things that were bringing anxiety, all the things that were broken in the orbit around me. 
And I'm just wadding it up and just leaving it to the Lord. And this is the thing that God would come and bring back to me over and over and over again that I could find rest and I could find healing in him. And church, like some of you guys, you're there. There's a lot of brokenness in your orbit, in your surrounding environment. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your health. Maybe it's with your kids or your finances, your relationship status, your loneliness. Maybe it's with parents. And there's a lot of brokenness around you, and you've been trying to fix it as best as you possibly can. And you've been turning to the self-help books. You've been getting help from other people. You've been doing all these right things. Maybe you've been turning to entertainment or puzzles or whatever the thing may be. And the one thing you've forgotten to do is to come before the good shepherd and to say, God, these are the things. I'm just the sheep. You're the good shepherd. There's certain things that I cannot take care of myself. God, would you come and as the good shepherd, come and take care of all the different things that I can't take care of myself. It's the whole point of this psalm, church, that he's the good shepherd and you're the sheep. This is who we are. When we think that we're the shepherd, it's out of whack, it's out of place. We try to grab it, we try to fix it, we try to do everything in it of our own strength, and it never works that way because the whole point of this psalm is that we are the sheep, he is the good shepherd, and he is more than sufficient and more than capable of coming and taking care of some of these things. Church, like, listen to some of the things that he's saying. Like, he's saying to the one who is desperate for a little bit of peace, he's saying, like, I am the one who can come and lead you to still waters today. And to the come, person who's come in and just, like, the, the anxiety is overwhelming what the good shepherd is saying to you today is like, I am the one who can lead you beside still waters in the middle of these chaotic times. Like verse three, like you need restoration for a weary soul. Like I can restore your soul. I can breathe life into dry bones again. Like Netflix can't do it. I can give you a little bit of release. I can give you a little bit of, uh, of kind of getting away for a short amount of time. It cannot give you the restoration that your soul needs. Shopping cannot do for you what only the good shepherd can do. Money, a bigger paycheck, a vacation, whatever the thing may be, it cannot do for you what the good shepherd was designed to do. He's saying, I can guide you. You need guidance, verse three. Like I'm the one that can guide you. I can lead you in the path of righteousness. And you know I'm going to do it because of my, my name's sake is on the line. My glory, my honor, reputation as one who gives guidance and leadership is on the line. You can take it to the bank that I can lead you in the middle of this season, whatever it may be in. This past month, celebrating six years here at the church. And I remember seven years ago was that time that I was crying out to the Lord for guidance. And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, would you lead us as a family because I don't know what this next step in my life is going to be. I was sitting in a church that I loved at Northwest Bible Church just up the street with a staff that I loved, leadership that I loved, a ministry that I loved. And we knew, and as Kat and I came together to pray, that God was stirring something, he was changing something, he was doing something different. And we fought it and we sat there and said, God, everything's good and great right now. And I remember coming and having that conversation with Neil Tombar, senior pastor, Brant Wright, our executive pastor at the time, and saying, guys, like, the Lord is stirring in me. He's changing our path. He's doing something. Let's start planning here. They graciously gave us time because we felt like the Lord was saying, you need to sit on this and you need to pray about this for the next six months and not do a thing yourself. Church, I'll just tell you, like, that's not my personality. My personality is to go knock on doors and even break them down if I need to in order to make something happen. Anybody like that? Waiting and resting is not my jam. I'm not comfortable with that. 
And we sat there and we said, okay, six months, we're going to come and we're going to pray and we're going to let the Lord come and lead our steps. I'm not kidding you. Six months to the day, I got my first call from a recruiter. Hey, uh, we think that there's a position that you may be interested in. It was with a church also here in town that I loved, with people that I loved in a position I would have easily loved. We started going down this path. Everything was good. Everything was happy. Everything was right. We even started looking at houses in the neighborhood out there. And then I got a little note from Brian Radabaugh about a church called Dallas Bible Church, and it disrupted everything inside of my soul. I sat there, and just God filled me with a love for people in a church and a community that I had never been a part of. I remember going to that, those final stages of those interviews at that other church when we were at the final stages about to say yes, and we were already planning everything there. And they said, what would keep you from taking this position? And I go, well, the thing is, God hasn't been able to, he hasn't released me from this love for Dallas Bible. And they're like, you haven't even interviewed there yet. I go, yeah, but I think that he's leading us to do that. And they're like, well, what happens if the answer is no? And my answer was, I know that God's in this and he'll take us to the right path. And we sat there and we came back to DBC and I called up Brian and, and I was like, hey man, I'd love to talk about this position. And he goes, great, well, I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> you got to go talk to a recruiter. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, I don't have an inn in this place or anything like that. He's like, no, you got to go through the process. And I remember sitting there going, okay, God, we need you to come and to guide us in the path of righteousness and to lead us to the place that you would have us go. I'll tell you, the first time I walked into this place, I felt like I was at home. Came into those interviews and everything was right. Everything was good. Kat and I wept in the parking lot, feeling assured that God was leading us to this place. Church, this is the offer that's on the table, that he's a good shepherd who will lead you in the path of righteousness if you'll simply wait on him, if you'll rest in him, if you'll say, God, I want, I want your path, not mine. Like, I can't see right from left. I don't know up from down right now. All I can see is gray. And the good news of this text is that he's a good shepherd. He will meet you in that path. He will lead you in the path of righteousness, and he'll do it for his name's sake. It's why you can know that this is going to happen if you'll just wait on him and listen to the soundtrack of his voice playing in your head over and over and over again while you sit there in this season. And I promise you, like it will see, feel like that he is leading you to the valley of your death. It will feel like that. But look what he says right, right there in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, like he's not leading you to the valley of your death. He's leading you through it. This is the promise of the good shepherd here. He's not leading you to the valley of your death. He's leading you through that place. Church is like, this is what he does. Some of you need to understand, he hasn't left you in the valley that you find yourself in today. He's there and he's with you. He's never left you nor, he won't leave you nor forsake you. He's sitting there with you, not leading you to the valley of your death, but leading you through. This is his MO. This is what he does. Genesis 37 with Joseph. Joseph's thrown into a pit by his brothers. He sold into slavery. It was not the end for Joseph. Like God was there in the pit, not leading him to the pit, but he was there leading him through the pit. Exodus chapter 15. God was not leading the Israelites to the Red Sea. He would die in the wilderness. He was leading them through the wilderness and into the promised land. Church, this is what God does. We've got to understand all throughout the Old Testament, we see this testimony of our God, the giants in the land, like they were never the end. Like the, the, the terrible kings in Israel, they were never, ever the end. Captivity was never the end. The fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was never the end. The lion's den was never the end. Judas's betrayal of Jesus was never the end. Good Friday and the cross was never the end. It felt like the end. Everybody thought it was the end. 
But three days later, Jesus walked out of that tomb alive so that he, because that's what he had to pass through so that we could know that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Church, like that's what our God does. That's what the good shepherd does. So you may be in a valley right now. You may be feeling dried up, like you need restoration, you need hope. But the promise here is that if he is your shepherd, then he's there with you in the middle of that valley and not to lead you to your death, but to lead you through it to that greater end. If you're willing to put on those headphones, lie down in the green pastures and listen to the soundtrack of his voice. Can't tell you how many people I know that have lived through the valley, thought that the valley was their end, only to realize it was never their final destination. I was looking out in first service and even here in second service, and I'm seeing marriages that thought that you guys were done. And God came and he breathed new life into this marriage. I'm looking at people and stories that it didn't work out in that positive way, and you thought that the single life on the aftermath of a divorce was your end. And God came and he showed you that he is more than sufficient to carry you in the middle of that dark valley. I'm seeing stories of coming out of prison and, and addictions and, and, and God-breathing life and, and, and new things in your life over and over again. I got a text message from a friend uh, in between services uh, here, and she said, you know what, Aaron, it was Psalm 23 that God used to carry me through my time of COVID this past year. She had just given birth to her baby boy, Bear Mountjoy. That's his name. And she gets, she gets COVID, and she's sitting there nursing a child, trying to care for a brand new baby with COVID. And she goes, it was Psalm 23 that God used to bring restoration to my soul while my body was broken. God was breathing life into me that day. A little while ago, I shared with you a story about my older brother, Stu, who's a church planter and senior pastor up in Evansville, Indiana. But late in March, I think he was the last person in America to get COVID. Um, not really, but he got it at the end of March, and the first two weeks of it were pretty okay. Um, about week three, told you that his body started experiencing Parkinson's-type symptoms, where he was shaking constantly, wasn't able to walk, hold things up straight, wasn't able to sleep, wasn't able to speak well or anything like that, and his entire body shut down. The elders came alongside, and they... Um, filled up the rest of the calendar for the rest of the summer for him so he could stay home and rest and get relief. The doctors were saying it was going to take about four months for your body to hopefully come back and to have rest and healing again. I called him a couple weeks ago, and I was like, Stu, man, how are you doing? How are you doing in the middle of this thing? He's like, Aaron, my body is broken down. Everything about it is failing, and spiritually, I've never been better in my life. He's like, God made me lie down. He goes, eight years of pastoring this church, I've never stopped. I never let up. Felt like I had to keep going and going and going and going and going. And God made me lie down, and it was the nicest, sweetest thing he could ever do. Every morning, he just went on, just all the different things that God was teaching him. He just wept on the phone. He's like, he's been waking me up and keeping me up, and I've just been spending time with him in the word, and he's been breathing life into me in ways I can't even explain. He's been teaching me that I'm not self-sufficient to be able to say yes when other people ask to help you out. He goes, this is the thing I've never done. He's like, I've actually got to admit my need for help and say yes when someone wants to bless me with something, do something for my family, give me something. 
He's like, I'm actually saying yes, and God is breathing life into my soul in a brand new way. Church, what I'm trying to say today is don't wait for him to make you lie down before you discover that he is the good shepherd. You can come to 24-7, seven days a week, every day of the year, you can come before him and you can trust that he can take care of you, that he can meet you, that he can breathe life into your soul and give you the rest that your soul so desperately needs. David picks the most beautiful possible picture of a shepherd. Someone who's on the clock 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they do not leave the side of their sheep. And that's the image that he uses to describe a God who actually wants to lead you, restore you, guide you, comfort you, protect you, and bless you, and provide for you today. My hope is that you would not make him make you lie down today, that you would listen to his voice, that you would let him be the one that comes and fills you and brings restoration to your soul today. Father, we love you, God. We praise you that you come and that you see us in those dry times, when we're tired, when we're worn out, even in the valleys when we can't see our way. We don't know what's next. We don't know where the paycheck's going to come from or how the children are going to come home or what to do with the parents or the friend. Father, would you allow every man and woman and child in this place to be able to come and enter into your rest today? That we would be able to see you are our good shepherd. We are your sheep. God, that we would gladly lie in green pastures today. That you would lead us beside still and quiet waters. That you would restore our soul. Father, would you bless us with that trust, with that faith today? For the person that's in the middle of that valley right now, God, I pray that they would be assured of your presence with them. That they would take you by the hand, that they would lead you, that you would lead them. God, that you would take them out. Give your healing, give your rest, God, we pray. We love you. God, we thank you for this day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.